Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. I cannot tell you how good it is to be home, (laughs) really. And by home, I don't mean my house, at my table, in my comfortable bed, among my comforting books and garden. When I say it's good to be home, I mean it's good to be at this altar, in this temple, to be among my friends, my flock, in this very familiar vine in which Christ has planted me. That's what I mean when I say it's good to be home. It's good to be with you. It's not so good to be home because my time away, we were, of course, in Europe for two weeks, and then this past week at the symposium, the clergy symposium up in Pennsylvania, we had a wonderful time. It wasn't displeasing at all. I mean, both Italy and the time with my uh, brethren in the hierarchs could not have been any more wonderful or better. But it's better to be home. <laughs> it's better to be with you. Because this is where I belong. This is where I find Christ. As I told you before, I am convinced Jesus lives in Virginia. Because you are in Virginia. <laughs> and you are Christ to me. I'm not flattering you. I hate flattery. Uh, I actually am very sparse with my even uh, words of affirmation because I'm afraid I might slip into flattery. Um, You all know that. (laughs) I get chastised for that sometimes. I'm not flattering you. I just, I really mean it. It's good to be together. It's good for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's not good for man to be alone. That is a practical and metaphysical declaration that God made clear from the very beginning at our creation. It is not good to be alone. We all know that it's easy to be alone. It's easy to be alone even when you're in the midst of a lot of people. But it's not good to be alone. It's good to be in the sheepfold among the flock. The enemy of our soul, one of his most famous monikers is the divider of the brethren. Diabolos. He plots and he schemes how he can divide and fracture and tear asunder the unity of the brethren. This is, in fact, perhaps his primary goal because if he can do that, if he can separate you from the unity of the sheepfold, he sets the stage for the kill. (laughs) We must be wise to his schemes. We must not allow ourselves to be drawn into that kind of a trap, to be lured away. From the sheepfold. He's very crafty. He's very subtle. And unfortunately all too effective so much of the time. He doesn't just use weapons that are obvious. Like you know sinful or immoral behavior. Which does work on us to draw us away. 
He also uses things that on the surface might even seem to be benign. In some contexts, some things that even seem to be good. St. Paul warns us that we must be wise to his schemes. He prowls. He's a prowler. He's crafty. He moves in the shadows around the periphery. That's why it's very important not to wander off into the periphery. Because that's where he is. We have to stay in the center. And the center is where the light is. To remain in the light. We remain in the center and we remain in the light. In the center of the flock, in the center of the sheepfold, he can't get to you there. What does it mean to remain in the center, in the light, safe and secure, in peace? Well, first of all, it means to remain in a state of grace. To be clean before God, not living a lie, which requires a humble and a contrite heart. You know, keeping a short account of sins, going to confession. Unrepentant sin in our lives gives the enemy some kind of authority over us. Whatever remains in the darkness, hidden in the darkness, gives him a foothold which can pull us away. That's an obvious problem that we need to remind ourselves of. We need to, though it goes beyond the obvious and extends beyond just sinful or immoral behavior, it includes also things like just uh, disturbances in our hearts and mind that begin to creep in very subtly. That we must be very alert to, aware of. We have to be on our guard. When we are disturbed within, these disturbances can begin to isolate us, pull us out of the center, apart, from the group, apart from the sheepfold. When this begins to happen, we need to become aware of it and we need to immediately humble ourselves and we need to go and deal with it. We need to speak to the appropriate person about what's going on. We need to seek out resolution, not let things fester, erode our trust through a lack of communication. When I say the appropriate person, very often that means you're a priest. Not always, but very, very often. If you're having a problem, come talk to me. Openness and trust, which all relationship is built upon, it can't be forced. Nobody can make you trust anybody, make you be open. You have to offer it willingly. It is your gift of yourself to another person. But it is absolutely essential if the brethren are going to dwell together in unity. You know, we are not undone. We are not undone by failure or sin. That's really not the problem. Not such a big problem, sin, in a way. You understand. We fall. We get back up. That's not what does us in. That's not what breaks us apart. It is our unwillingness to work through conflict. It is an act of infidelity. A lack of trust, which is an act of infidelity. Trust in the bond that's been created between us by the blood of Christ. But as long as we stay in the center, and the altar is the center, as long as we run to the altar instead of running away from it, and the flock is gathered around the altar, as long as we join the flock who are gathered around the altar, which is at the center, we have an assurance of safety and dwelling in the goodness of unity. 
But if we allow ourselves to be allured away by immorality, unconfessed sin, or by those less obvious things that sneak into our hearts and minds, like suspicion, assuming the worst, mistrust, pride, then we become sitting ducks. I'm not being dramatic here. As a pastor, I've seen this over and over and over and over again. Good, sincere people getting picked off because of this very thing. It's tragic and it's sorrowful. I want to ask you a really important question. What is the basis of our unity? What is the basis of our unity? If our safety, our peace, our joy, if the goodness we desire in our life consists in our union, which it does, undoubtedly, if you don't understand that, we have to go back, come back to catechism. We're starting catechism in September. Come back to catechism if you don't grasp that. It's the absolutely essential foundation of everything. Then what holds us together? What is it that holds us together when the enemy and all his minions are working without rest to tear us apart? Is our union dependent upon compatible personalities? Do we remain close because we all see the world in the same way? Or because we enjoy the same activities? Is the local church an affinity group centered around similar interests? Are we a task force all focused on the same goal? Do we all even have the same priority of values? These are, of course, rhetorical questions. We know that that's not true, obviously. God has thrown together a motley crew, a kaleidoscope of variation and personality and interest and values, even values and qualities. What holds such a varied group of people together? What makes them all fit together like a puzzle, tightly woven together? What makes them an unassailable wall of fitted stones, which would otherwise seem to be so dissimilar? You can ask yourself, make it personal. How do I fit into the wall? How am I fitted as a living stone into the house which God builds? How do I fit into this community in which God has planted me? You know, if we think of the local church as an affinity group, we're going to be very lost and disappointed. If we're looking for compatible people to associate with, we're going to be sorely disappointed. We'll never find stability in our life looking for those things in the church. None of those things are what holds this essential bond of the people of God together. Now, most of you are probably thinking at this point that you know the answer. I mean, I have lobbed some pretty softball rhetorical questions to set it up. Of course, the family of God is not an affinity group. We all know that. Although I will add that while we will all say, yes, of course, I know that, we often don't act like we know it. That's still what we're looking for so much of the time. And that is a very, very, very real problem that we need to be on guard about. I say that to you as your pastor, 
So just be aware of that. Something we have to guard ourselves about. It is not an affinity group. I pastorally, when I thought about the development of a local church ministry, and that's something important to think about, I have always sort of um, been cautious about having too many affinity groups in the church because I don't want to sort of perpetuate this. We have some, but we sort of keep tabs on that. We don't want to let that get out of control. Multi-generational groups, much more important to foster. And groups with people of dissimilar likes and dislikes and personalities. I was going to start listing some things and I thought that probably wouldn't be a good idea. Maybe at another time we could flesh some of this out. But back to the question of what is the basis of our unity? Because you know it's not an affinity group. It's not even, we're not even unified around a singular sort of temporal purpose. There's all kinds of purposes. I mean, we could have a soup kitchen. We could have an unweathered, unwed mother's home. We have a strong emphasis on education in this parish. We have a parish full of people with really strong personalities, okay? For which I am extremely grateful, and I mean that. I love it. It's wonderful. People with really strong personalities, and not just strong personalities, but personalities that hold very strong convictions about certain things. But your conviction is not what is going to hold this community together. Your conviction might, in fact, tear it apart if you're not careful. I'm not going to let that happen. That's my job. (laughs) As long as you will be humble and listen to me when I maybe bring this to your attention. Nobody's conviction is going to hold this community together. I'm grateful for your convictions. They're all gifts that we bring together to help us to grow in the kingdom of God. But our unity is not about a conviction, no matter how noble and glorious and God-given it is. What is the basis of our unity? What creates this integrated bond? What makes us fit and belong together? The obvious answer is the blood of Christ. Okay, we know that. It is the blood of Christ. We have been made brethren because we are one in Christ. No Jew, no Gentile, no bond or free, no male nor female, no introvert or extrovert, no blue collar, white collar, old or young, good looking or, you know. (laughs) We're all one in Christ by the blood of Christ. We know that. That is the objective, essential truth the very basis of our unity. And I hope we all understand that and that we cling to that. But that is not the primary point that I am actually leading up to this morning. It is true, yes. It is essential, yes. We must cling to it, yes. But it is kind of an objective truth. It's true about us and the Baptist across the street. But you don't have anything to do with them. In reality, do you? I mean, has anybody ever spoken to any person in that church across the street? Probably not. What I'm interested in this morning, the primary point that I want to ask ourselves this morning, is the practical outworking of this reality among us here. This particular group of miscellaneous people called the body of Christ. How are we knit together. 
How do we dwell together in unity? How do we belong to one another? Many people in the church, in the local church, feel at one time or another like they're a square peg in a round hole, like they don't belong, like they don't fit somehow. They're searching for their place. If you've ever felt this way, you are not alone. Probably every person in this room has felt like this at one time or another. So this is to all of us. And this feeling that we have and that we might have from time to time, it can grow within us if we're not careful. It can become a small crack and it can grow into a big fissure. The first thing that we need to just recognize by everything I've said thus far is that this is not good. <laughs> this is not good. I mean, the canary in the mine that drops over dead, this is the first sign that something's wrong. The canary's dead. When this starts to work on you, there's a dead canary in the cage. You need to say, whoa, whoa, something's wrong. I need to figure out what's going on here. So it's not good. It's a tool of the enemy to isolate us, and we need to deal with it immediately. First, we need to deal with it by recognizing everything I've already said, that our unity and belonging to the family is not based on personality, affinity, of interests, or even God-given temporal goals, like, you know, conquering poverty in America or educating Fauquier County, or whatever it is that we're all worked up about. Our precious union is in the blood of Christ. But as I pointed out, that is an objective reality which can remain somewhat abstract, as it does between us and our dear brethren across the street. But it can also remain abstract between you and the person in the parish sitting next to you that you have nothing in common with. So what is the immediate cause of our union? What is the cause of your union in the group? How do you fit? Especially when you're feeling marginalized and on the periphery. That's the question for us today. And the answer, the answer does not lie with them. You see, when you start feeling this way, it becomes an us-them kind of a feeling. You know what I'm talking about. And we think the problem lies with them. The problem never lies with them. The answer always lies with us. What affects our unity, what makes us fit, is our love for the brethren, our fidelity to the brethren, our loyalty to the brethren. We some imagine, I, when we're feeling alone or isolated, we somehow imagine that there's this like group over there that's all tightly knit and woven together and they sort of like marginalized us and pushed us out. Our failure to fit is our failure to love. What unifies us is our love and our fidelity. Our love and our fidelity. If we are not fitting, the answer is we need to fit. We need to fit, you see. We need to fit into the house that God has built through love. It has nothing to do with shared interests or personality. I mean, how many marriages dissolve because they just cease to, you know, we just don't fit together anymore. We know that's a lie from the enemy. Our personalities don't get along. Even our values. We commit ourselves to one another. We are loyal 
to the family that God has pledged us to. We pledge our fidelity. We pledge it. In sickness or in health. If I'm ever feeling a little disconnected from my wife, you know what I do? First of all, I start figuring out how to blame her. Usually. That's my first line of attack. And hope to God I come to my senses sooner than later, which I usually do eventually. But first I try and figure out what she's doing wrong, why she's isolating me or not paying any attention to me or my need, not meeting my needs, or blah, 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 blah. And every single time we go through this, and has anybody, I mean, I'm sure maybe you've never gone through this, but every single time we've been married close to 34, ooh, When's our anniversary? It's like in a couple pages. <laughs> Next week. 34 years next week, I think. So we've been through this cycle a few times. Every single time, every single time that I resolve my feelings of being disconnected from her and I have exhausted every possible you know, creative, imaginative way I can blame her for this problem, I come to the revelation that I am failing to love her. Every time. And then when I fix that, all of a sudden she becomes the most attentive human being you've ever met in your life. With me. If you don't fit, the problem is you need to fit. <laughs> You need to fit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.